open because we're going to be all over the place on tonight. And um, yeah, John 16, verse number 13. Um, the Bible says, I have the NIV version, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a day and a time where people are married um, and they stand before the preacher and uh, they make this commitment to one another, but they are ill-prepared for what marriage actually looks like. Um, they, they get into this zone, into this place of being in love and the euphoric feeling of being in love and they get real deep with the love, but they don't have any substance of what the love is supposed to be about or what the marriage is supposed to be about. And I wanna kinda start from here and I'm gonna back into something that sometimes married couples, what they fail to ask is the Holy Spirit to teach you how to be the spouse you need to be for your husband or for your wife. When was the last time that you asked the Holy Spirit to teach you how to be the spouse you need to be for your husband, for your wife? Um, those in the room that are single, you need to, your prayer needs to be, Lord, teach me how to be the wife, the husband that you are calling me to be so that when my time comes, I don't have to be behind the learning curve, yeah. that I can already have some uh, tools in, in play. I'll prove it to you. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. It does not say he that findeth a woman, which means that before he found you, you were already a wife. Hallelujah. That was God's system, God's plan, God's program. I want to say this, and I'm going to give you some notes. Write this down. Marriage is the safest relationship on the earth when God's laws for love are honored. Marriage is the safest relationship on earth when God's laws for love are honored. Marriage is the safest relationship on earth when God's laws for love are honored. Here's, 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 here's a hard thing for many people to realize. Marriage is not something you fall into. It is something that's intentional. It is something that is supposed to have purpose. Um, this world is built on laws. We have speeding laws. We have traffic laws. Uh, there are laws that you are supposed to obey because they're supposed to do certain things for you. And marriage also comes with a set of laws that is laid out in the word of God that sometimes we don't pay attention to, we don't um, really, really apply to our lives because uh, marriage, unfortunately, I don't care what you heard, marriage was not created by a lawyer. Marriage was not created by a legislator. Marriage was created by God. And our, and our God is a good God and he would never create anything that would harm us. Let me rewind that one more time. If marriage is created by God, then God would never create anything that would harm us. But the reality is in 2020, and I got single people that can sit here and say this, we fear marriage. 
1930, let me give you some facts, 83% of adults, American adults, were married. In 1930, 83% of American adults were married. In 2020, between 45 to 48% of American adults are married, which means most adult Americans are not married. The problem is, I'm gonna just talk to the single people just for a minute, that if you let social media hype you up, it'll make you believe everybody getting married. And that's not the reality. Majority of the adults in the United States are actually single. Most adults are not married because marriage in today's time gets a bad name. Because you fear anything you don't understand. So why men don't want to get married? Because you fear anything that you don't understand. And if we don't know what God says about it and honor it, we will fear it. Laws are created, watch this, uh, these laws, these marriage laws that I'm going to give you are created to, uh, to create love, to protect love, and to promote love. When you do marriage God's way, it is to create love, to protect love, and to promote love. Now, let's go over to Genesis, the second chapter, verse number 20. Genesis, the second chapter, verse number 20. Now, this is, um, this is going to be our foundational scripture. So I want you to really uh, read this and sink your teeth into this. Genesis, the second chapter, verse number 20. Genesis 2, verse number 20. All right. So in Genesis 1, what happens? Anybody know what happens in Genesis 1? Creation, right? Okay. But then we, by the time we get to Genesis 2, now we're dealing with what? that God creates man and woman and he gives this whole uh, thing, this whole, uh, but he lands on something in Genesis 2, verse number 20. Look what the Bible says. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Stop. In other words, here is Adam that was created by God, fashioned by God, out of the dust of the earth, and Adam starts naming all the animals that he sees. And he sees there's two or three or more of everything that he starts to name. The only problem is he don't find nothing that look like him. So the Bible says, but for Adam, no suitable helper, everybody say helper, was found. So the Lord, verse number 21, caused, uh, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed it up from the place with place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, man with a womb, woman, uh, for she was taken out of man. That is why, verse number 24, this is what we need to pay attention to. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become what? One flesh. Verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I want to give you tonight the four laws of love. The four laws of love. The four laws of love. God made Adam out of the dust 
but he made Eve out of Adam's rib. Why? Why did God make Eve out of Adam's rib? Because, watch this, marriage is a covenant. Let everybody say covenant. Marriage is a covenant, and the word covenant, watch this, means to cut. If there is blood, watch this. If there is no blood, there is no covenant. Okay? Now, I want you to see this from a different perspective. Go over to the gospel according to Mark, verse number 14. Mark 14, verse number 23. Mark chapter 14, verse number 23. If there is no blood, there is no covenant. If there's no cutting, there's no covenant. In order for us to have a covenant, something got to be cut. Mark 14, verse number 23 and 24. The Bible says in Mark 14, verse number 23, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Look what he says, verse number 24. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, what did we just read? What is that? What's going on right there? What do we traditionally call that? The Last Supper, communion, you know, we use all those words for what that describes. Now watch this. The word covenant, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, okay? The word covenant means permanent sacrificial relationship. A permanent sacrificial relationship. Covenant, marriage, covenant means a permanent sacrificial relationship. Those three words tri trip us up. A permanent sacrificial relationship. What it means is I'm all in. That whatever level we have to go to, I'm willing to go to it. That's why you stand before the preacher and say in sickness and in health. For richer or for poor. Till death do us part. What is all that? That's covenant. It, 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 it's, those are covenants that you make to say that this is a permanent sacrificial relationship that we will have with each other. When you don't have a covenant relationship, you know what you have? A contract relationship. Now this is where the tension gets in with this society that tells you that marriage ain't nothing but a contract. Let me tell you why they say it's a contract and not a covenant. We believe it's a covenant, the world believes it's a contract. A contract, watch this, protects my rights and limits my responsibilities. It means it's selfish from the beginning. So it means I'm gonna marry you as long as you take care of me and as long as you do right by me. And the moment I feel like you don't take care of me, and the moment I don't feel like you do right by me, I'm gonna cut you loose. So I wanna protect my rights and limit my responsibilities, but God is saying if you're gonna be, uh, if you're gonna have the marriage that I have designed for you, it has to be a sacrificial covenant. I am, I am sacrificing my rights, I am unlimiting my responsibilities, I'm all in and I'm willing to pay the price for the relationship. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you are married, there is gonna be a price you're gonna have to pay one day. It is going to be the greatest price you've ever had to pay. Now, why am I giving you laws to marriage? Because laws create order, safety, and predictability. Laws create order, safety, and predictability. God created marriage with law. L marriage should be orderly. 
That means marriage shouldn't be chaotic. If it's chaos, there's something wrong. Okay? Marriage is predictable. The problem is that this world has a strain that you need to be with somebody that's unpredictable. That's cute at first. It's adventurous when you're dating. But when it comes to bills, I need you to be predictable. When it comes to taking care of these kids, I need you to be predictable. And some of us are so blindsided by the, by the front of the relationship that they keep you guessing all the time that you think that's cute. That's cute to a moment. I need to be predictably eating. I need to be predictably that you're going to come home at the time you say you're going to come home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's where character starts to come in, okay? Pre marriage is predictable when you do it according to God's law. It is a time for us to see it, understand it, and embrace it as the gift that God has made us. So let me give you these, these laws of love. Number one, the first law is the law of priority. The law of priority. It's in the scripture, verse 24. We just read it. That is why man leaves his father and his mother. Marriage has to be first. It has to be before your children. Uh-oh. Your marriage has to be before your work. It has to be before your church. It has to be before your hobbies. It has to be before social media. Uh-oh. It has to be before your friends. If marriage is in any other place, then first accept your relationship with Jesus Christ. Marriage does not work. God says, you will leave your father and mother. Leave doesn't mean I just, I'm abandoning you and I'm cutting you off. No, leave, leave right there actually means, you ready for this? Reprioritizing. Mm -hmm. The problem is that this generation teaches you that blood is thicker than water. You know, you got your family members tell you that. Child, he don't act right. Just remember, blood is thicker than water. What, what are they trying to say? They're saying if you got any problems in your marriage, you could stay with family. You could come home. Let me clear this up. Blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. Okay, you, you, I need you to catch this. Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, because marriage is an act of the spirit of God. It's not just a piece of paper. And the most important part of your marriage is your spirits being connected to one another. And the spiritual connection of marriage is more profound than the blood bond of your mother and of your father. You have to reprioritize. That means maybe you don't need to tell them everything that go on in your relationship. Yeah. Get quiet right there. That's been my mama all my life. Praise God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank God for her. She did a great job. That's wonderful. But the problem with pulling people into your relationship is that you tell them when you mad, but then when you get over it, they still mad. So now they come into your house looking cross-eyed at who you with because they remember the story of what you told them and they still in the offense of where you were, but you done got over it. Now they got a problem with them and you. You need to reprioritize the marriage. What is God trying to show us is that marriage only works when you reprioritize your life. If, if anything else takes place of your spouse, then it's not going to work. This is why... This is why we get, we go crazy, and we go crazy when someone get down on one knee and, and propose. 
you know, that's, that's, you know, we love to put the videos out there. We put them on social media, everybody going crazy. Ah, you know, you screaming and crying and carrying on. Because what it symbolizes is that I choose you to be the primary focus of my life with the exception of my personal relationship with Jesus. Now, stop, let me put a pin right there. Because single people, if they don't have a prioritized relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be worried. Mm-hmm. Because you need somebody to be over them. The law of priority means I choose you to be the focus of my life for the rest of my life. Not just when you make me happy. Not when you just put a smile on my face. You still have to be the priority when you done got on my last nerve. And we all want someone to choose us. It, it, it's easy to fall out of love when we don't practice this law. It is easy to fall out of love when you don't practice the law of priority. You fall back in love when you make each other the priority in your life again. So every day you get up, I, you got to say, I choose you again. Got to look over there with bad breath. The wig is on the, on the, on the dresser. Corn rolls all through the head. And still look at him and say, I still choose you. And watch this, and I will protect you against anything that tries to compete with you. Is this too deep for y'all? All right, let me show it to you. Go over to Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse number 14. Exodus 34, verse number 14. Exodus 34, verse number 14. This scripture always messes me up because we always love the names of God, you know, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tiskanu. I'm going to give you a new name that you never knew that this was God's name. Exodus 34, verse number 14. Look what the Bible says. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. Is, the, is your J capitalized? You didn't know that was his name, did you? That's one of the names of God. So while we call him Elohim and Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider, he's also jealous. He said, my name is Jealous. It, I am a jealous God. Uh, the word jealous right there, his this description of his name, God, watch this, means intolerant of rivalry. He's intolerant of rivalry. Why is God jealous? You are only, now this deep, I hope, come on, go with me now. Come on, go with me, because this, 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 this cut me a little bit. You are only jealous in proportion to the degree that you love. <laughs> you never jealous over somebody you don't love? <laughs> to the degree that I love you is to, is to the degree that I will fight for the relationship. God's jealousy means I've created you to love me first. I'm your God, I saved your soul, I deserve first place in your life, and when, watch this, because it's going to explain why some relationships had to fall off, and when God says, I see anyone or anything that comes to take that place, I will fight for you because I love you so much. So some of them had to go because they got in first place, and God said, my name is Jealous. I am, will not share you with anybody else. This is why some jobs had to come to an end. 
it wasn't even my fault. Yeah, it wasn't your fault. But guess what? You had made that job so much a priority that God said, I will rearrange your whole entire life to bring you back on your knees so you could give me my worship. I'm not letting you go without a fight. So let's, let's put this in terms. How to establish and maintain the right priorities in your marriage. How do you, how do you establish and maintain the right priorities in your marriage? Uh, it's two steps. Number one, they have to be proven in real, real terms, not just words. They have to be proven in real terms, not just words. We have the masters of just putting words out there that we really don't mean. The best apology is change behavior. So you can't say that, oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to make you a priority with your words, but you don't back it up with action. Actions speak louder than words. Watch, watch this. You just can't say you first in my life. you got to prove the priority. So how do you prove the priority? Let me give you a couple of ways that you prove the priority. Number one, sacrifice. What will you give up for me? Before you got married, you would sacrifice talking to, uh, talking to them on the phone all night long. Now we can't even get you to get a five-minute conversation of your undivided attention. Now you're married and you take every call. What will you give up for me? Sacrifice. What's another way to prove this? Time. Time. If you're telling me that I'm first, then you got to show it in time. You, guess what? Watch this. Watch this. Time is the commodity of relationship. Don't, stop telling you, telling folk you love God, but you don't make him a priority. You don't give him no time? The only time you talk to him when you come here? Mm-hmm. Money is the commodity of business. If you ain't got no money, you ain't got no business. If you ain't got no money, you ain't going to be in business very long. Here's the problem. I'm going to help you. Don't throw money at your relationship. It's the wrong commodity. Because when you throw money at a relationship, it turns into a business transaction. It becomes a pay for play. If I want to make you unsuccessful in business, all I got to do is take your money. If I want to make you unsuccessful in relationship, I, all I got to do is take your time. Let me show you another way to prove this. Energy. Energy. You got to put some energy effort behind the relationship. You got to get out that house. You got to get out that house. You got to get out that house and put some energy into the relationship. Walk on the beach. Go for a walk. Surprise each other on lunch. Put some energy behind it. Because when you've been married a long time, roses no longer move you on Valentine's Day. In fact, most people will tell you after they've been married a while, I don't even want no rose. You keep it. I'm good. Can we do something else? That rose ain't doing nothing. It's going to die in a couple of days. I'll show you another way to prioritize attitude. I really want to be with you. And your attitude should show it. Okay, every husband in here, I want you to raise your hand. Every husband in here. Every husband. Okay, I got a couple of them in here. All right. Um, I have a challenge just for you. I wrote this for both you and your wife, but I got a challenge just for you. Okay? The challenge I have for you, listen to this. I need you to sit down with your wife over a cup of coffee, whatever you drink and say to your wife, tell me what's wrong with me and I won't defend myself. <laughs> they good and mad right now. Tell me what's wrong with me and I won't defend myself. 
Watch this. Because if you're going to make the relationship a priority, there's no way, greater way of saying to somebody you are a priority when I want to pick your brain about who you think I am. And I'm not going to fight you back with, uh, with whatever you say. Well, I did that because no, I'm going to listen to everything you got to say. Uh, every wife in here, raise your hand. Every wife in here, every wife in here, all right? I, I'm challenging you to do the same thing, but not at the same time. Okay? Now, let me preface this, because I, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Do not try to do this exercise, and you are not mature enough to handle what they're going to say. Because then you're going to come to me, well, I started, it started a fight. Yeah, I bet so, because you're not mature enough to handle. Uh -huh. You're not mature enough to handle the fact that you ain't as pleasant as you think you are. Okay? Yeah. So the first thing you got to do um, is you got to, they have to be proven in real terms, not just words. Okay? And, and that conversation is to prove it in real terms, not just words. But here's number two of this. You got to constantly protect them from good things out of priority. You gotta constantly protect them from good things that are out of priority. Most times, it's not just bad things that are destroying marriages, it's the good things that have gotten out of priority. So every year, I always see this go around, this, this stupid meme that goes around that say, what come first? My kids, my husband, my mama. You know, this, this is the stupidest conversation I've ever seen in my life. Let me tell you why it's, it's stupid. It's not stupid, it's stupid, it reveals stupidity. Okay, because a lot of times, what you don't understand is that assignments have seasons, and everything in your life is, a, is, a, is only there sometimes for a season. And you, when you get things out of priority, so let me give you the priority, you ready, here you go, number one is God. Number one is God. Number two is your marriage. Mm -hmm. Number three is your children. Number four is your church. And number five is your work. Uh-oh. Watch this. Because we're talking about seasons. Your job is a temporary assignment. Your church membership, if you have freedom or somewhere else, should be something that remains consistent. Your children are forever, but come here, they are a temporary assignment, boo. Because if your number one priority ain't for your children to get up out your house, Amen. children are a temporary assignment. In fact, let me let me let me just give you some insight. So my mother, uh, over the last couple of years, has gone through the struggle of realizing finally that her grown children are actually grown. Because it does not register uh, um, to uh, very caring mothers, sometimes overbearing mothers, that, <laughs> that your children are actually grown. And what ends up happening is one day they will turn on you, but they didn't turn on you, they were always like that, you just missed when it happened. Because you were trying to baby a uh, an adult. That was your, your little pookie. Little pookie gonna grow up. Lil Pookie is going to do stuff that you are not going to like. Lil Pookie is going to make decisions for their own life that they could care less about your opinion. 
And if you're not mature enough to understand that they're just a temporary assignment, mm-hmm. I ain't saying you ain't supposed to be there to help them. I ain't saying you ain't supposed to be there to support them. But let me, let's be clear. When it comes to your marriage and your children, your marriage comes before your children. They need to see, watch this, they need to see your marriage as a priority. Families don't build around children. Children are built around families. Watch this. Stay with me just for a minute because I feel resistance to this. You need to train your children to respect your marriage. What you mean by that? Because when they don't see that your marriage is a priority, watch this, then they will play one parent off the other. And instead of y'all being a united front, what mama said, what daddy said, my, my father learned a long time ago, what can we do, what your mama say? What did she tell you? Did you ask her? Huh? No, huh? You heard me. What did you, what, did you ask her? Yeah. What did she say? No. Then that's my answer too. Okay? Children are a temporary assignment. How will, um, how will they succeed in marriage if we don't show them how? Your spouse needs to hear, I'll make any change in, your, in my life to make your priority. After Jesus, you are my priority. Okay? So that's the law of priority. Here's the second law, the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit. Okay? A man shall cleave to his wife. A man shall cleave to his wife. That word cleave right there means to pursue with all energy. It means to cling on to. It means that marriage means, here we go, marriage means work when you pursue something with all your energy that means it's going to take all your energy so that means marriage means work the problem is we work until we get something secured and then we take it for granted so I kill myself trying to get you down the aisle but then once I got you down the aisle okay hey and this is why most marriages don't work. There, there's no exception. Let me give you a couple of misconceptions about marriage in the society. In society, You don't have to write this down. Just listen to this. Here's a misconception about marriage. If I marry the right person, the emotions will happen naturally and effortlessly throughout the marriage. So this is where we say we were just organic. <laughs> we just clicked. Yeah, you better do more than just click. You are not going to wake up because you felt, because emotions just happen naturally and effortlessly because they really don't. You're not going to wake up and look over that person and just say, hallelujah, I give God glory for this person in my life. <laughs> Touch, uh, look at your neighbor, because coronavirus going around. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. <laughs> look at your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Another lie. Another People believe that there must be something wrong with the marriage if I have to work at it. The best marriages, ladies and gentlemen, are two people who get together and, and uh, the best marriage, excuse me, are, are not two, two perfect people who get together and chemi chemistry strikes and they live happily ever after. The best marriages are two very different people who have a lot of incompatibility that roll up their sleeves and go through lots of trouble together, but they stay together and work it out and they come out the best of friends. 
That's how marriage works. The best marriages are people that have high goals and high work ethic. The best marriages are the people who have high goals and high work, work ethic. The worst marriages are people who have high goals and low to no work ethic. So you got an expectation for your marriage to be wonderful, but you don't want to put the work behind making it wonderful. Let me give you another misconception. I got to go quickly. If my emotions change toward my spouse, I must have married the wrong person. Emotions change constantly. Since you've been here since 7 o'clock, you done had several different emotions. You ain't got to be bipolar to, to have that. You've had several different emotions. My emotions change constantly. But the best love is the love by choice. I choose to love you. What is that word in the Bible? What is that love that is a choosing love? It's called agape. Everybody say agape. It means I choose to love you. I don't know what my emotions will do tomorrow. I don't know. So regardless of what your spouse does or how they make you feel, you must make a decision to love your spouse and stay faithful to them. Just like Jesus did for you. Mm -hmm. This is where the syndrome, the grass looks greener on the other side comes in. Because when you're looking at somebody else's relationship, it looks so wonderful and great, especially if it's filtered out on social media. If the grass looks greener, it just means you need to water your own grass. The reason the grass looks greener is because you can't see the, the, the poop from here. You ain't close enough. Everyone looks good from a distance. Oh, y'all don't believe that? Okay, I got any clovers in here that could say, mm-hmm, some, 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 uh-huh. Uh-huh. From, from across the club. They look real good. But when them lights come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all acting like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Because some of y'all still going. Number three. Number three. Uh, positive events, experiences, and actions should f fuel the relationship's emotions long term. Let me say that again. This is a misconception about marriage. Positive events, experiences, and actions should fuel the relationship's emotions long term. So if you take a trip or have a big Valentine's Day weekend, that, that's going to last for a long time. Not true. Marriage operates, watch this, on a manna principle. Manna. M-A-N-A. -A, manna. It's a Bible term. Manna. When they were in the, in the wilderness, God fed, fed them by manna and quail. Manna. Uh, manna is a, a bread-like substance. Manna actually, <laughs> I love the meaning of manna. Manna means what is this? <laughs> Children of Israel walking and <laughs> they see, and they, what is this? Okay, watch this. The children of Israel woke up every morning in the wilderness and for 40 years, God would give them what they needed for that day. God says you can't accumulate it. So what they would try to do the first couple of times, they tried to get the manna, take it back to the tent. Oh, I'm gonna say this up. They wake up the next morning and find it full of maggots. Because God tried to tell them that every single day you had, to, you had to lean and depend on me and I will sustain you and take care of you. So I would give it to you every day. So watch this. So love operates, watch this, on the manna principle. Mm-hmm. In other words, love is a perishable commodity. Yesterday's love is worthless. I know that's challenging for us to think about it, but let me prove it to you. Have you ever been in love with somebody you ain't in love with now? And whatever gift or whatever they gave you don't mean nothing to you now? Hello. It's the manna principle. 
What does it mean? Love has to be renewed every single day. For the most part, women get that. Men struggle at this. Men think in terms of points. How many points do I have in the bank? So if I'm in trouble, how can I accumulate some big points in a hurry? So let me take you out on a date, give, me, give you some flowers, some jewelry, a car, do some housework, take you on a trip, take care of the kids. But you take on a trip and you think those points will last you a long time. So let me give you a principle, you ready? All points evaporate at midnight. I'm trying to help somebody out today. All points evaporate at midnight. We thank you for the wonderful gift, that's wonderful and great. In your head, you need to realize that all points evaporate at midnight. Because she might talk about the necklace that you gave her for three more days. Keep on living. What I'm trying to say is don't throw a lot of money at your relationship if you don't, if you don't daily throw a lot into the marriage. Here's another misconception. When we have no emotions because we have fallen out of love, there's no way that we can get back into love. That's not true. You don't have to turn there. Revelations 3 and 9, Jesus says to the church that fell out of love with him, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast, hold it fast and repent. If you want to fall back in love after falling out of love, you must do what you first did when you first fell in love. If you want to fall back in love, do what you first did when you first fell in love. Pursue each other all over again. Repent. Make each other first. Do the work that, that is necessary. You will be more in love than when you first fell in love. My parents uh, practice a principle that they sit and they talk every single day before anything, before they go, before they leave. They talk every day over a cup of coffee, whether five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, because they wake up real early, and they sit there and they talk every single morning. They did it so much that I ended up buying them a Keurig for Christmas one year so that they can have it in their bedroom. Now they don't come out until about 11 o'clock on the weekends. <laughs> Are y'all alive in there? Why? Because when they first fell in love, my mother would say he got me with his talk game. Here's the next law. So the first law is what? The law of what? The second law? Here's the third law, the law of possession. The law of possession. Now what do I mean by that? The Bible says the two became one flesh. I'm still working Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25. The two became one flesh. God created mar uh, marriage to share everything. We share everything in marriage. Marriage is about sharing. Doesn't matter if you share children, checkbook, house. Do you share a life together? Because you can share children, checkbook, house, and not share your life with one another. I, you know, I never realized this. You know, I'm a little old school, so um, I was raised with my grandparents in Monticello, Florida. Mm -hmm. They ain't got no stoplights. It's just one light that just blink tell you to slow down. You got to ride around the courthouse. Y'all from Tallahassee, y'all know what I'm talking about. It, the big thing every year is the watermelon festival. That's all they got every year. <laughs> and my grandparents, my, this was years ago, my grandmother, her brother was still living. His name was Uncle Bully. Uncle Bully lived in Boston, Georgia. Okay. And um, Uncle Bully was a very successful man in agriculture, had, you know, acres and, you know, had livestock and all that. And Uncle Bully, I will never forget when I went over to their house, they lived in a very old, old, old house. And um, when 
Uncle Bully was living, we would go over to the house, and that was the first time I had ever seen, because I was raising my grandparents, they slept in the same bed together, king size bed. That was the first time I had ever seen two beds in a room on separate sides of the room. Uncle Bully bed was over here. I'm real country. And Aunt Lily Mae's bed was over here. <laughs> so I laugh. I love, I love me some Aunt Lily Mae. She used to make the base, best tea cakes, but y'all don't know what that is. Anyway, let me keep going. I am country. You hear me? So um, Aunt Lily Mae and Uncle Bully would sleep in the same room but they didn't share the same bed. Because Uncle Bully and Aunt Lily Mae shared uh, things together, but they didn't share a life together. Yeah, till we found out one day Uncle Bully had a whole nother family on the other side of town. Uh-huh, yeah. You have to have the law of possession that you share everything together. Anything that you will not give going into the marriage will cause problems in the marriage. It creates jealousy. Where there is no equal sharing, listen to this, it creates dominance. Now this gets dangerous. Men and women are totally equal in every way, right? There should not be a discussion on who is the boss in the marriage. Jesus Christ is the boss in the marriage and you are both equal. Pastor, I thought the man was the head. Yes, in responsibility, but you are equal in the relationship. You don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. When Adam and Eve messed up, God came looking for who? Adam. Adam, where art thou? But here's what we miss. Adam, you should have been there to stop this foolishness from happening. But guess what? They both got kicked out of the garden because you are equal in responsibility. If, you, if you're not equal, dominance becomes the personality. Dominance becomes the intimidating factor. Dominance through manipulation. Watch this, so you gotta be careful. I'm not telling you you need to mer merge your bank accounts together. I, whatever works for you works for you. But nobody should look at your paycheck and look at the other person's paycheck, and because the other person's paycheck is less than your paycheck, that don't make you all of a sudden the one that is dominant. Well, I make the money, you should've stayed single because we share everything up in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't get married and you don't want nobody to drink your juice. Mm-hmm. Don't fall out with me over three days because I ate your Oreos. We share everything. It's not my kids, my money, my house. When you start using that language, it becomes destructive. You know what it introduces? A spirit of independence. I will do my own thing. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. <laughs> Marriage is not about independence. Watch this. Marriage is about interdependence. You want to be independent? Stay single. Independence destroys marriage. Interdependence means I need you. You didn't get married to live alone. You got married to share your life with somebody. Uh, let me read this text. Uh, write this down. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 3 and 4. You don't have to turn to it. I'll read it to you because I'm trying to move quickly. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 3 and 4. 
1 Corinthians 7, verse number 3 and 4. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Stop. When you get married, you actually give authority sexually of your body over to your spouse. Now, this is not a license for abuse. This is a license for use. <laughs> Got some single people say, use me up. <laughs> I felt you in the spirit. <laughs> Here's what I need you to understand. Watch this, married people. What this means is, I'm not going to use my body against you or as a weapon, nor will I use my body as a bargaining chip. This is not my body, this is your body to take care of your needs. You live out the law of possession by never making a decision without the input of your spouse. Never make your spouse pay for a price. Watch this, never, because if you're gonna have the law of possession in your marriage, you, you never want to make your spouse pay a price for telling you the truth. We're partners. We may be different, have different approaches, different needs, different perspectives, but that should make us stronger, not weaker. You just don't see it my way. They're not supposed to. That's the point of merging two lives together. They have a completely different background. They were not raised in your house. They do not have your parents. They don't have your siblings. They don't have the values that you were given or the lack of values that you weren't given. So in other words, when you talk about the law of possession, I will, I will not make a decision without your input. And our relationship is more important than the issue. Mine destroys marriages. Our keeps the law of possession. You know, your child acted up in school today. Uh-uh. We made that together. <laughs> it's our child. Okay? The law of possession. So number one, the first law is what? The law Number two, and number three, here's the fourth one, the law of purity. The law of purity. The Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. This is before the fall. Eden, they were in the Garden of Eden. Eden means pleasure and delight. But after, after the fall, they sewed fig leaves together to cover up their genitals. Now stay with me, because I need you to see this. They fell, realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover their genitals. Watch this. Genitals are what shows differences and are the most sensitive areas of the body. When you live your marriage in purity, catch this, you can expose your differences and talk about all the sensitive areas of your marriage without a problem. And this is the struggle because people get in marriages today and they want to hide everything. So I don't find out you got a porn addiction until seven years into the marriage. When you have sin in your marriage, you cannot trust each other. So you have to hide the differences in the sensitivities. Law of purity means I have to be careful. Um, law of purity means I have to be careful of what I do because what I do affects you. So what does that mean? You got a mouth on you? You hurt my feelings? 
If you are insensitive, you're disrespectful to me, you're sarcastic, you're critical, you won't take responsibility, you think I want to reveal my sensitive, sensitivities to you? Let me give you that list one more time, because that, that needs to settle in. You got a mouth on you, you hurt my feelings, if you are insensitive, if you're disrespectful to me, if you're sarcastic, if you're critical, if you won't take responsibility, ain't nobody trying to relieve, trying to show you who they really are. I cannot trust my heart with someone that will not take responsibility for their behavior. When you are careful of the way that you treat each other and you take responsibility for your actions, the fig leaves can come off. They can come off mentally. They can come off physically. They can come off emotionally. They can come off spiritually. Let me back all that up. They can come off mentally. Now I can tell you what I'm really thinking. They can come off physically. I ain't got to turn the lights off to get undressed. They come off emotionally. I can cry in front of you and you ain't going to think that I'm a punk. They come off spiritually. That I can worship the Lord with you, not in hiding. I can be naked and not ashamed. You can talk to, to that person about anything and feel no shame. I can trust you because you, watch this, are my safe place. When does the marriage not become a safe place? Look at the, the story of Adam and Eve. Adam, where art thou? Well, what happened? Uh, God, that woman you gave me, Ready for this? Blame transfer is the original sin of marriage. It's your fault. Well, if you wouldn't have did, it is the original sin of marriage. And marriage will never work out that way. So give me my four laws of love one more time. Number one is what? Number two. Number three. Number four. Any questions about that before I move on? Any questions? I'm going to take a left. Any questions? Any questions? All right. This next part is specifically for the men. And ladies, you can eavesdrop it on this. Because I was not planning on doing this, but I need to kind of clear some things up. One of the greatest problems in marriage that I notice that uh, the wives, women complain about is the inability for men to express their feelings. They will not say how they really feel, okay? So I want to talk about emotional growth in marriage. Emotional growth in marriage. Marriage can be a blessing, but it can also be a great challenge at the same time because problems often arise, and when men don't invest the time that we should in, in, in an emotional connection with our wives, it makes the challenge of the, the issues and the problems even worse. As men, we can be clueless that we are reaching an emotional deficit with our wives, which usually results in an increased stress and conflict. So she feeling some type of way, but because we have learned how to turn that valve off in us, we are not emotionally connecting. And now the wife feels abandoned and alone when we should be a partnership in this. So I want to talk about five ways to grow emotionally in a marriage. Now, this is geared towards the men, but this also applies to the women, all right? So I want you to hear this. Five ways to grow emotionally in a marriage. 
Number one, write this down. I'm going to take my time. Number one, name the emotional responses you are having towards your spouse. Name the emotional responses you are having towards your spouse. You have to name the emotional responses you are having towards your spouse. Uh, brothers, you ain't got to respond. Have you ever looked at it and said, why are you so worked up? side I mean right when I said that why are you so emotional calm down emotional reactions are symptoms of a greater issue that should signal that somebody in your marriage is off balance and needs attention it is not something that should be dismissed it should be something that you should zero in on that's saying something ain't right and it needs my attention so if your emotional response is anger, disappointment, sadness, or disgust, you need to name what you're feeling. Instead of, brothers, walking around saying, what's wrong with you? Nothing. You should name what you are feeling. But try to name what you are feeling without doing it in an attacking manner. Is this too heavy for y'all? Okay. So you need to name the emotional response that you're having towards your spouse. Number two, you need to identify the emotion and label it. Identify the emotion and label it. The struggle with men is that we have been taught all our lives that when you have an emotion, shut up. Suck it up. You a man. Stop all that crying. Stop being a punk. Or they've said worse. But as men, you need to be able to identify the emotion and label it. This is a critical step because watch this, even the ladies, when you identify the emotion and label it, it causes you, catch this, to slow down. Because sometimes you are so emotionally worked up that you're going so fast that you don't have time to name what's really wrong with you. So when somebody asks you what's wrong, you all over the place with what's wrong with you instead of hitting it right on his head. When you identify the emotion and label it, it teaches you to slow down, not to just react, but to identify the feeling that you're having and look at it with a, 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 pers with a certain perspective. In other words, you need to see it outside of yourself. Because sometimes you can't see you crazy. Sometimes you can't see that you're irrational. So uh, uh, philosopher, uh, uh, um, um, there was this guy, I can't think of his name. He had eight basic emotions that you should be able to identify and name in yourself. Eight uh, basic emotions that you should identify and name in yourself. You ready for this? Fear, anger, sadness, joy, disgust, surprise, trust, anticipation. that an emotionally intelligent and emotionally mature person can, can recognize those emotions in themselves. Let's be real. We ain't really that mature. Because sometimes we angry and we don't call it, call it anger. We say somebody got on our nerves. 
sometimes we're experiencing sadness. Watch this. Do you know you can be sad and smiling at the same time? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are in disgust. And we tolerate it. <laughs> you ever had a boss you were just disgusted with? with? <laughs> Good morning. You disgust me. <laughs> Some of y'all going to go you're going to go to work tomorrow and say that in your head. In your head. Good morning. You disgust me. I've identified that emotion in myself. Can you name that emotion you are experiencing or, or that you see in, in yourself and in your spouse? Number three, reflect on how you have experienced this in the past. We try to connect something. You just don't have emotions to have emotions, y'all. Because I think that's what the world is training us to do. They just have emotions, right? But we don't realize what are these co emotions connected to. So we need to reflect on how, the, how you've experienced this in the past. Um, you have a memory in your head that is painful or negative from childhood experiences. That is still attached to you. That we call them triggers. And we can be triggered of the most painful memory. And sometimes someone else's behavior resembles that painful memory. So while we're lashing out on them, what we're really lashing out is on them. Everybody say this. Uh, I stole this from T.D. Jakes. Everybody say this. This is not that. Say that again. This is not that. This relationship you're in right now is not the relationship that you were in. This job you're at right now is not the job that you came from that you couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. This church you're in right now is not the church you grew up in. This is not that. The problem is you will conflate all of it to be the same and you will treat it as such. And this is where self-sabotaging behavior comes from. Because I've never connected my emotions from what happened to me in the past. And so I think this is something new when it ain't. And instead of realizing that it's not something new, and I'm going off on my spouse, and I'm going off on the person that's in front of me, I need to realize, oh, this come from that. Mm-hmm. Number four. Number four. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to be selfish. Help me. Number four. Try to shorten the time of the reaction. Try to shorten the time of the reaction. Try to shorten the time of the reaction. Do me a favor, put slash and put emotion next to it. Try to shorten the time of the emotion. You ever realize negative emotions tend to hang around for a while? After identifying the emotion and understanding where it came from, work on shortening the time that the reaction or emotion has an effect on your relationship with your spouse. If the normal time is two days of relational stress, work on resolving it in one. If you be mad for a few hours, work on just being mad for an hour. Because this, watch this, the sooner you can normalize your reaction, the sooner the relationship can reestablish its healthy rhythm. Yeah. When you can normalize the reaction, 
now you can work on the relationship being reestablished sooner. But the longer you, you, you let it linger, the, the more dead bodies you will have in the time frame that you got to go breathe life back into it again. So you mad for five days and you done went off on the cat, the dog, the children, the spouse, the, 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 the person at work, the person at the Wendy's uh, drive through you done went off on all these people and you've left a trail of tears. Shorten it. Mm -hmm. Number five, invite, I'm talking to married people, invite your spouse to help you process the emotion. Now, this is why I said this is for the men. Because most men don't like to invite other people into their emotions. It makes us feel too vulnerable. And often when your emotions are hijacked, your spouse is left wondering what in the world happened. It helps to explain to her what is going on with you and what you're trying to figure out. And be honest about what you believe triggered the reaction. Watch this not as a matter of blame, but to increase her awareness of your sensitivity to the issue. So I'm not saying this because I'm trying to blame you for it. I'm saying this so you can understand that this is a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. So be sensitive to this area. I don't know it hurts you for me to say that if you never communicate that. So then all of a sudden you say, I always do this. Well, I never knew it was a problem in the first place. In fact, watch this. It's why single people, you gotta be careful when you skinning and grinning at people. When they say something and, you, and it ain't funny and you just skinning and grinning, because <laughs> you got somebody in your face and you don't wanna be by yourself. Sometimes you need to tell people, uh-uh. That's a line right there. Don't talk about my mama. Mm -hmm. Don't talk, don't, don't, mm -mm. don't cross that line right there. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because if you're, you're, if you're not able to make that aware, people cannot be sensitive to where you are. Sometimes you gotta tell people, I ain't find that funny. Now I know you meant it as a joke, but I'm just letting you know. And I ain't got, you gotta fall out, you ain't gotta stop talking to them for three days, you can just tell them straight up, I just don't like that, you know, I'm very sensitive about that area, here's the reason why I'm sensitive about that area, and I just ask if you could be a little sensitive to it. Ask you to be sensitive to it don't mean that all of a sudden I assume you're gonna be perfect. It's just putting you on notice that that's an area that I'm not fully delivered in. And I need your help. Because if we in this together, I need your help. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, last thing I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna get you out of here. Last thing, I wanna give you, I got laws, nothing but laws tonight. Nothing but laws. Here go my next laws. The five laws for managing conflict in your home. The five laws for managing conflict, because it's real hard to talk about all this stuff in one setting. Five laws for managing conflict in your home. First law is manage your anxiety. Manage your anxiety. Conflict, ladies and gentlemen, is not always a bad thing, but we can become quickly bothered by it. Reality is, you ready for this? You're gonna get married, if you are married, conflict is normal. That is not an abnormal thing, that is normal. Conflict is normal, okay? But what it does is, it invites clarity when there is confusion 
and it can resolve mm, a silent tension that needs to be made known. A lot of times, we don't want to deal with the conflict because we assume that conflict is a reflection of our deficiencies. So I ain't gonna talk about it, because if I talk about it, that must mean something wrong with me. Okay? But it isn't your responsibility to prevent the arrival of conflict. How you lead through the conflict is what you can control. You can't control how conflict comes up, but you can control how you lead through it. If you can determine the root issue underlying the conflict without getting hooked by emotional insecurities, you will be able to lead successfully in the midst of these conflicts. You can't get hooked on the emotion, y'all. On Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about temptation, and I'm thinking about doing this. I don't know if I'm going to do this, but um, we, we have temptation, and what the enemy does, there's a scripture where the enemy, basically, when it talks about temptation, the enemy uses temptation as a hook. So the, the, if you've ever been fishing, you throw the hook out there, but you cover it in bait, right? Because you cover it in bait so that the, the fish can't see that you're really trying to just hook it. It entices you with the bait. On your hook is your emotion. So it gets thrown out there, and you are hooked into it. So you angry, you're going to stay angry. You mad, and you're going to stay mad. There's conflict going on, and you're just going to keep it right there. And what we have to understand is we, cannot get our, we can't get baited and hooked into the emotional insecurities of ourselves. It's hard to help your family from a state of anxiety because, watch this, remember that they will naturally respond in kind to your emotional cues. So they're, they're acting based upon how you're acting. Ain't nobody got to talk about this tension in the house. They feel it. We ain't got to address it. It's there. You cut it in a knife when you walk in the door. My mom, my mom is, um, she, my mom can be super spiritual sometimes, get on my nerves. Uh, I hated it growing up. But my mom is super spiritual, and so she always taught us, be careful of who you invite in your house, because they invite spirits into your house with them. And if you got joy in your house, and you got peace in your house, that was her main thing, peace in her house, you, you have to make sure you don't bring somebody that got chaos all on them, because they'll drop off their chaos in your house. One day, we had a cousin that came over to the house, and my mama said, don't let nobody in the house. And I let them in the house because that was my good cousin. They were grown. And, um, and you know, when you're growing up, you don't know everything about your family members. You know that cousin so-and-so, and that's auntie so-and-so. And you don't know auntie so-and-so as crazy as you don't know what. <laughs> but that's just your funny, you know, auntie. Well, I got a cousin, and cousin is um, just, you know, you know, let's just keep it real. Strung out on drugs, just as crazy as can be. You know, high as a kite 24-7. You know, on that good narcotic. I'm old school. And, um, and so I, I invited the cousin in the house. And so they left. And my mom came home one day. And she walked up to the door. And she said. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the living room like, if you don't come in this house, what is wrong with you? And my mom looking like, who been in my house? And we're like, what you mean, who been in your house? Mm-mm, who been in my house? There's something up in here. Because sometimes you don't have to communicate it, you can feel it. When tension is in your household, you ain't got to try to hide it for your children, they'll know. They'll figure it out. Because you can feel it. That's why you have to manage your anxiety. Number two, write this down. 
uh, if you're dealing with conflict, conflict, listen and clarify. Listen and clarify. That's for any tension you got with anybody. You need to listen and clarify. Listen with precision and clarify or repeat what's being said. I just can't, watch this, because I've discovered two people can talk and have two separate conversations at the same time. Come on, let's sit down and get on one accord. And sometimes you need to stop people and say, what did you hear her say? And what did you hear him say? People come to me for counseling sometimes, and I'll be like, what did you hear them say? Well, I heard that's not what they said. That's not what was said. Because if you don't get to a place where you listen and listen for clarity, you will, uh, you will take your opinion and apply it to what's being said. Or, watch this, most times we don't listen because we're always trying to think of rebuttal before they get done. Because you know you're the queen of the comeback. You're the king of the clap, clap back. I'm going to get them with this one. You done created the whole scenario of the conversation in your head before you even got home. I know, am I talking to anybody in here that know what I'm talking about? You got the whole conversation about you and your boss before you even get to work tomorrow. You got to play it out. And I'm going to say this when they say this, because I know they're going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and I'm going to get them. In the process of listening, you are helping the other person to gain a voice and hearing, uh, hearing, what, hearing they, what they feel they don't have in the process. You are getting a better understanding of what's happening. By listening, you give others the time to ramp down emotionally. Sometimes you need to let people talk so they can calm down. If you keep trying to cut them off every single time they say something. One of my favorite shows is The View, but it's getting on my nerves lately. Because now all they do is talk over each other. Can somebody shut up? Because you got to get to a place where you listen with precision and you clarify what's being said. Number three, identify desired outcomes. If you're going to deal with conflict, you got to identify the desired outcomes. What's your outcome? What do you want from this? I'm not talking just to be talking. There has to be finality. There has to be a decision made. We need to identify the desired outcomes. Most times when we have conflict, we don't realize that the other person has a common goal. It's just we're just arguing over the best way to get there. We got the same goal in mind. We're just arguing over the best way to get there. It's really hard to listen to politics right now because everybody's trying to pin everybody against each other. And on the Democratic side, we're all trying to get to the same place. We're just arguing on how to get there. Okay? You got to remember we need to focus on the outcomes. And just as you are, let me put this tidbit in there, just as you are focused on the outcomes, it's important to learn the lessons through the conflict. Learn the lesson through the conflict. Because if I'm just trying to get to the end, but I don't learn the lesson, we'll repeat it all over again. Does that make sense? So you gotta make sure that you're learning the lesson through the conflict. Law number four, state the next step. What's the next step, if there are any? What's the next step? Is it a change in how you need to ha handle your finances? State the next step. Is it a new way of changing the way that you parent? State the next step. Is it a new discipline that needs to be built into the marriage? You need to state what the next step is. 
build in some accountability to ensure that promises are kept and decisions are followed through. Just don't be making a bunch of promises. We need to have accountability while you stating these promises. We're going to manage this money right. Well, what that mean? Lord going to get us through. Okay, but what? Does that mean that as soon as you get paid, you're going to go get you 12 crab trays? There was a lot of people in my family, in my house, so it was, they had to feed a lot of people. <laughs> okay? What does that mean? Because if you don't put that in practical terms and state what the next step is, you will repeat it over and over again. Law number five, include outside counsel as needed. If you have conflict, you need to include outside counsel as needed. Sometimes you'll hit an obstacle that you try to resol resolve on your own and you just can't. Outside counsel can help two or more disgruntled members to work towards a solution. But you need to find a neutral party. Your homegirl cannot counsel your marriage. Your best friend can't sit y'all down and get y'all on the same page. It don't work like that. You need somebody that can be a neutral party, respected by both parties, to, to fill this role. And do not, hear me, because I counsel a lot of people all the time, do not get counseling so that you can try to prove your point through somebody else. That's not the point of counseling. Because you lead counseling, you heard what they said, right? <laughs> I told you, okay. I'm going to told you to divorce court. <laughs> you need some outside perspective sometimes that can look at it from a neutral standpoint and that can give you, let me be clear, because we, we believe in Jesus Christ, some biblical insight into your marriage, okay? Um, don't be afraid to ask others for help when you get stuck. It's better than hiding the issue or attempting to handle it on your own. Right? Any questions? Any questions? Surprise, trust, and anticipation. Yes, you're welcome. Anybody else? Any other questions? Was, did this help anybody tonight? Was this informative? I wanted, the, I wanted to give you marriage from a different perspective. That's what my whole goal was, to give you marriage from a different perspective and to give you tools on how, to, how that looks and what that looks like. Because um, marriage is supposed to be a beautiful thing but it's only as beautiful as we make it. And so we have to make sure that we are taught what the word of God says and what's, what's God's desire for our marriage, all right? Um, don't forget Sunday, don't forget Sunday. We're continuing a series, Slow Jams. Um, I'll be talking about uh, SWV will be here. We done had uh, Music Soul Child. We done had New Edition. And now we will have SWV on Sunday. They better have the nails. They better have the nails. <laughs> Worn, they better have the nails. <laughs> I will be surely disappointed if Music Soul Child had on them shades and a hat. I need for <laughs> I need for SWV to have on those nails. And so um, we're going to be talking about weak, weak. I get so weak in the knees, I can hardly speak. And I'm going to talk about temptation. 
Mm-hmm. You're so weak. <laughs> We're going to get some strength on Sunday. <laughs>